The image of the lab rat moved between cramped cages by white lab coat wearing scientists is one that we're all familiar with. But should the lab of the future still use animals for research? Linked to this is the ethical question of whether the pain and suffering caused to animals and research is morally justified. I'm your host, Associate Professor Paul Formosa, and welcome to In the Cave, an ethics podcast. Here to talk about these issues today is Dr. Jane Johnson. Jane leads the Animal Ethics and Cognition Stream of the Macquarie University Research Centre for Agency, Values and Ethics, or CAVE, and is also a member of the Department of Philosophy at Macquarie. Jane, welcome. Thanks so much, Paul. It's, it's great to be here and have a chance to talk to you about these, what I think are really important and interesting questions, which, as you know, I'm quite passionate I, about. I agree. That's why we're here. So let's get started. So you recently published an article in the journal Issues in Science and Technology examining whether animal research delivers on its promise. Perhaps we can start there and if you could tell us what exactly is the promise of animal research. Yeah, okay. So I think actually it's probably quite important to talk about what kind of animal research I'm referring to here because there is actually lots of research that happens with animals. So you get uh, wildlife research, you get research for veterinary benefit, you get quite observational research, you get behavioural research and each of those different kinds of research potentially has different promises attached. The research that I'm interested in, and that paper was written about, is biomedical research intended for human clinical benefit. So quite interventionist kind of research. And so the promise that's associated with that, as you've already flagged, is that it's going to be able to deliver some kind of benefit to human beings. So the idea is we really don't want to expose humans unnecessarily to harm from new medications or different interventions. So we ought to test them on animals first to make sure that those interventions are safe, um, effective and so on. So animal research in that kind of sense is really trying to ensure that we scaffold and support the development of research, make sure research in humans and obviously medicine is as safe and effective as it can possibly be. So it's really trying to use animals to do that kind of predictive work for us to minimise harm. Okay, well, safe and effective medicines sound good. So I suppose we can ask the next question. Do you think this promise is being kept? Is it, does it actually work? Yeah, I mean, it does sound like a really uh, a good promise to, to put out there. But I think on the whole, the answer is probably no, or at very least the promise is being kept quite patchily, um, you know. If it was a friend that was making that kind of promise, I'd be a bit concerned about um, where that promise would lead and the results. So if we look at how research on drugs, for example, is carried out, we see that of those drugs that pass animal testing, 90 to 95% of them actually drop out before they make it to market. It's amazing, very high. (laughs) It's, it's yeah. astonishing, isn't it, really? Um, so that, yeah, they, they make it to the stage of clinical trials with humans but go no further. I mean, that's a huge um, investment, a lot of time and effort that goes in for, for what looks like a pretty tenuous result. And, and if we go one step further and think about the drugs that then go into human use more widely, we can also see that even though they may have passed animal testing, doesn't necessarily mean that they are actually going to be safe. So a classic example in this context is the drug Vioxx that was developed by Merck. I think it went to market in 1999 and it only lasted out there for five years. But in that time, it was used by a really significant number of people all over the world and 
Estimates suggest that at least 200,000 people died as a result of cardiovascular events associated with the use of Vioxx. So it's pretty kind of concerning. It passes through this this stage of animal testing, but it doesn't necessarily uh, pick up on those kind of cases. And so that's for those interventions and drugs that have passed animal testing. But what about the ones that don't pass it? It's actually interesting. They could be incredibly effective. They could be entirely safe in humans. We don't know. So if we look in retrospect, say a drug like aspirin, um, it's toxic to cats. And so if it had been tested in cats before it was used in human populations, it never would have reached us. And it's been incredibly beneficial, as we all know, for a headache or even for for treating certain kinds of heart conditions. So uh, it would have slipped out of the mix if if, um, animal testing had ruled it out. So it's pretty pretty patchy on the whole. So that raises the obvious question, what is going wrong? Why are we doing all this research, but it's not leading to good outcomes? Yeah, it's a pretty uh, significant question and an important one to ask, I think. So I think there are really three main things going on here. So we see that some of the methods adopted for animal research are pretty poor, and they certainly wouldn't pass muster in the context of doing research with with humans. So things around randomization and, and so on just aren't necessarily done in the context of research with animals. There are also stresses in a lab environment that actually impact on results, the data collected. So uh, noisy environments, uh, environments in which there's lots of light and so on, can be really stressful for animals. And that changes how they respond to drugs, for example, and and that matters. That changes the, the data that you're getting. Therefore, also how well it translates or not to, to um, humans. There's also... The issue, which is probably the most obvious one in some senses and um, probably uh, the most significant, that's the basic biological differences between uh, non-human animals and and us, between rodents, which um, represent the dominant animal in research, and and human beings. Or increasingly, we're seeing a lot of zebrafish also being used as models for, for research. So those basic differences do matter in the end. So this raises the obvious question then, if it isn't very effective, then why do scientists keep doing it? Yeah, it's a a pretty um, surprising phenomena in a lot of ways, isn't it? And I think there are a number of things going on here. So scientists, just like you and I, are social beings. They operate in cultures and that matters for how they do their work. So they're trained in a particular way. They have gone through a particular process of education. Their PhD supervisor has been the kind of person who uses rats or the kind of person who uses zebrafish to investigate questions. And so they adopt that kind of strategy as well in their research. Uh, It's not like scientists sit back and say, okay, I'm interested in investigating this kind of uh, cancer, say, how am I going to do it? What's the best kind of strategy I can adopt? Um, Should I use data mining? Should I use organ on a chip? Should I use animals? They can't ask those kind of questions because they don't have the expertise in all those areas. And so their training kind of means that they're going to, if they've used animals in the past, that's likely to be the way that they're going to to do their work in the future as well. So they're the product of their training like all of us, unfortunately. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's great for philosophers. They're (laughs) perfect as a result of that. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, so there there are a couple other things as, as well I think that are important there. So uh, regulators also demand in many cases that 
interventions that will be used in humans pass through animal testing. And so that kind of drives a continuation of this practice as well. And if there aren't good alternatives that have been validated and accepted, then it means that the practice of animal research will continue. And also, of course, there's a basic kind of inertia. We don't... Keep doing what we were doing. We do keep doing yeah. what we were doing. Seems to work in the past. Well, let's not keep doing that. Let's try something else. <laughs> okay. and let's step back a second and think about some of the, the broader ethical issues here, really. So I guess the, the basic ethical trade-off that, that's operating in this area is that uh, some amount of animal suffering, pain, etc., is justified because it leads to good outcomes for humans safe medicines and so forth. Now, one problem as we looked at is that promise is not always kept, but we keep that aside for a second. And let's just think about that broader ethical uh, trade-off there. Maybe we could talk a little bit about this. Do you think human benefits do justify animal suffering or does it depend or uh, how might you uh, respond to that question? I guess my immediate uh, response to that question is to say no, that benefits for human beings can't justify animal suffering. I mean, animals, if we we put them back in the, the research context again, they're incredibly vulnerable. They are dependent on the researchers. And because uh, an entity is vulnerable, often we think we ought to accord it uh, more protection. So I don't think that humans ought to take advantage and exploit animals um, for their own benefit because they can. I mean, if if you take it out of and the context and, and sort of talk to the more general issues about what's involved. So if you cast animals as, as vulnerable, then I think it becomes much more problematic ethically to, to see that as legitimate. But if we, if we do insert it back into the context of human benefit coming out of animal suffering, I think it is it's deeply problematic for those reasons that we've already said. So there's the obvious suffering to animals, but there's also the suffering potentially to human patients from things that have passed through trials that have been problematic. There's also, as we've both talked about, there's that issue about wasted effort in research. People volunteer their time to be participants in trials. If that's not going to be informed by good data, then, then they're, uh, we're really wasting their, their time, research dollars and, and so on. And there's also an issue that hasn't been talked about a lot, but that's the the concept of moral injury to humans who are involved in research. So those people who work in the laboratory, uh, who care for animals in animal house, can find themselves in really problematic positions where things that value to them are really, they find themselves in genuine conflict and tension over doing this kind of research, which which um, really challenges them, them ethically. So, yeah, I think I think it's worth kind of, popping the benefit uh, trade-off back in there because a lot of the time people seem to forget that when they, they, they reframe the issue. So if we take that line of reasoning, I guess the outcome would be that we would move away from animal research as part of the broader research community. Now, I guess that raises the question, are there alternatives? Because surely making safe and effective medicines, uh, testing them and so forth, is something we want to keep on doing. So is there a way that we can keep getting those benefits but not have to impose suffering on animals? Is there alternatives that we can approach here? Absolutely. And I think we should be focusing a lot more attention on those alternatives. So we do see in the EU a few years ago, they brought in a change in regulation around cosmetic testing. And that meant that uh, non-human animals couldn't be used as part of cosmetic testing. And there was great sort of uproar and this is going to be terrible and have all these dreadful ramifications and so on. 
but people got on with it. They actually developed really good alternatives that are probably better, well, that are better <laughs> than the, the uh, existing animal tests. And, and so I think we should be putting a lot of attention into developing alternatives because, yeah, we absolutely do want to make sure that we're not giving medications or performing surgery with devices that are going to harm people or not be effective. And so putting attention on developing those alternatives is absolutely crucial. Thanks, Jane. So maybe we could finish off if you could just sort of summarise a sort of key take-home message for, from your work for our listeners. What, what do you think that take-home message would be? Uh, okay. I think the basic take-home message is that animal research needs to change. It's uh, really problematic in its current form. So there are the, the problems, those epistemological problems that we've talked about, that, that we don't necessarily get good data from using animals. And that kind of really chips away at any ethical justification, as you said right up front in your introduction. If we don't get good data from animals, how can we possibly justify doing this kind of work, which involves harm to them and, and harms to others, as we've, we've also uh, canvassed? So I think that's the real message, that we, we do need to look to a future in which we develop many more alternatives and don't continue the same reliance as we um, have had in the past on animals. It may mean that there's some animal testing in certain contexts that continues, but it's going to be, I think, if it's to be justifiable, um, greatly reduced. And so I guess the take-home that I would hope that people leave with is thinking about what we can do to change this situation, what you can do as a consumer, as a citizen, in whatever capacity you have to, to change this situation that's going to be to the benefit of both the non-human animals in research and to us as humans as well. It's human animals. Great. Indeed. Thank you very much, Jane. Look, that, that, was a, that was really, really interesting. And I think it's a really challenging call there that we really need to think seriously about, about this topic um, and not just assume that there are benefits from animal research and not just assume that those benefits are going to be justified as we learn more and more about the cognitive sophistication and the vulnerability of the animals that we're using and that there are alternatives. There are other ways that maybe even lead to better outcomes for, for us and the animals as well. So thank you very much, Jane. That's all we have time for. You can read Jane's paper. Uh, there's links in the show notes. Uh, thank you for your time. This podcast has been a presentation of the Macquarie University Research Centre for Agency Values and Ethics, or CAVE, and I've been your host, Associate Professor Orphamosa. Thank you.